one of the, let's say, casualties or calamities of the COVID-19 pandemic were the number of hospitalized patients who ended up dying alone with no friends or loved ones around. And it's not that the friends and loved ones didn't want to be there. It's that the hospitals banned visitors, even family members. Pastors also had to observe this, and we had to provide comfort and care and final prayers over the telephone. One of the doctors uh, talked about this isolation, said it was the medical version of solitary confinement. You had some heroic nurses who kept vigil with the dying, but that's just not the same as having a loved one present. Sad as that is, we really don't know, though, what the experience of a dying person is, um, um, they say that, uh, that being present at the die- death of a loved one is more important for the survivors than it is for the one who is dying. Um, that in a sense, we all, that death itself is a solitary event, even if you have loved ones around us. Uh, hospice chaplain Kelly Egan you know, said that the body is busy dying and the mind is elsewhere. And so death, uh, in a sense, is by nature solitary. But again, that's no comfort for the survivors. And when a person dies without the presence of loved ones, there can be this feeling of, uh, non, of no closure or uh, a feeling of betrayal. You know, a, a sense of guilt racks the person, even though it was not their fault. Many psychologists say uh, that, um, that what contributes to this is the fear that we have of maybe dying alone ourselves. Now, I say all this not to be uh, morbid or not to be a Debbie Downer on a Sunday morning or to be a bearer of bad news. I say this to help us understand what Paul is talking about in his letter to the Thessalonians. Like I said, we're in the last three Sundays of the church year, which focuses on the end times. And for most of us here, maybe all of us, death will be the end of this world. But even in that statement, there is a hint of hope and salvation. It's the end of life in this world. You see, Paul's reading from Thessalonians is often wrongly used as a blow-by-blow description of Christ's return. You know, first this will happen, and then that will happen, then this, etc. As if God has given us some advanced copy of the schedule of events for that day. But that totally misses Paul's point in this epistle lesson, which is, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Go back to the ascension of Jesus. The angels who were there told those that were witnesses of that event that Jesus was going to return as you have seen him depart. In the Greek word there for depart is exodus. Uh, Jesus was going back to the promised land. But what Paul was trying to do there was to help us conceptualize um, what was going on in this. 
um, that um, Jesus, when he returns, will come back with the glory and splendor of, what, uh, of, of God uh, as he has gone into heaven. And so in that, you see Jesus was taken up in a cloud and that he will return in a cloud. Knowing that then, what Paul is doing here is trying to help us conceptualize again how this is going to happen at the end of time. And he does not want us to grieve as those who have no hope. You see, what was happening in the church of Thessalonia there is that the disciples who were at the ascension thought that Jesus was going to return soon, like within weeks or perhaps months, maybe a couple years. But as the decades rolled on, they started thinking, well, maybe those brothers and sisters who have died before Christ's return won't participate in the glories of his uh, second coming. Those that were alive began to worry that if they died before Jesus came, they too would not share in the eternity with Jesus. And so Paul writes them to correct this notion. He says, just as God will take care of those and provide for those who are alive at Jesus' second coming, so God will take care of those who die before Jesus' second coming. God will keep them safe, and they will not miss out on the resurrection of the Lord. In other words, those who are in Christ, whether past, current, or future, will also be a part of the glorious return of Jesus on that last day. And so he says, you know, this is important for you. This is important to understand. Don't, it changes your perspective on the, your daily life, that what is happening now because you know that when Christ returned, whether you die before then or you're alive at that time, you're taken care of because you will remain in Christ. So to further that point, Paul says, look, Jesus died and rose again. And that fact assures you that God has the power to do what he says. That God will bring with him those who have died. And as such then, he says, just as God has the power to raise Jesus from the dead, so you too will rise again. He will do the same thing for you. You will rise at the last day. Paul was being pastoral at this point. He wanted to provide people with the confidence that Jesus has the power, Jesus has the authority to raise people from the dead, and they can be confident that as long as they are in Christ, nothing, death itself, cannot separate people, believers, from Christ. But let's look at that word hope. Hope in our daily use, our daily parlance here, usually just means wish. And it's rooted on human desire. 
Biblical hope, by contrast, is rooted in God's word, which is vastly different than human desire. Biblical hope gives us the view that there is life after death. And even though we cannot physically see it, we believe that God, being eternal, can see it. And so biblical hope rests on the eternal perspective of God. And that when he comes again, we know that there will be life again. That there is a second life after this one. That view gives us the, the idea that the kingdom of God will come in its glory and its power and you and I have a place in it. And again, like I said, this is of ultimate importance in our daily life because without that hope, we have nothing to look forward to in this life except what we can make of it until we die. So, Paul in this epistle lesson is not giving us a schedule of events. What Paul is talking about here is that when we are caught up in the sky, and by the way, that word caught up is uh, translated from the Latin word rapiare, from which we get our English word rapture. But <laughs> what Paul is again trying to do is to help us conceptualize what that return is going to look like. When the Lord comes, followed by all the living and the dead, returning in glory. You add that to the ascension where the angel says he would come as you have seen him go, and you can see this image then of a victorious king returning with his victorious army. You see, Paul did not designate the clouds as the rendezvous point. Paul designated, used the word clouds because they indicate God's glory. God's power, God's presence, which is totally biblical. Want examples? Here you go. In Exodus, then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud in order that the people may hear when I speak with you and so trust you ever after. Psalms, Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Ezekiel, then the, Lord of, then the glory of the Lord rose up. The house was filled with the cloud, and the court was full of the brightness of the glory of the Lord. The minor prophets, Nahum, the Lord is slow to anger, but great in power, and the clouds are the dust of his feet." In Daniel, Daniel says that the Messiah is going to come in the clouds. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus quoted that twice, referring to himself in the Gospel of Matthew. And then in Matthew itself, at the transfiguration, a cloud of the presence was there. The bright cloud that spoke to and said, this is my beloved, and told the disciples to listen to him. So thus, Paul 
when he's talking about being caught up in the clouds, is saying to us that all of us who are in Christ will be in the presence of our God. And that's the same imagery that St. John uses in the book of Revelation. Now, that being said, if Paul were trying to convey this message to you and I in today's world, he might have chosen a different metaphor than a cloud for the presence of God. Because in our day, clouds kind of symbolize troubles or hardships you know we have that reference uh, like a cloud hangs over that family when troubles keep happening to them or a cloud follows that guy because he's always seemed to be having trouble in his life perhaps if Paul wanted to keep this up in the sky imagery he would either have to uh, change our perspective of what a cloud is, and that's what the 18th century poet uh, William Cowper was trying to do in his hymn, uh, God Moves in a Mysterious Way, LSB 765, verse 5 there, when uh, Cowper wrote, Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take, the clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessing on your head. Or if he didn't want to shift our thinking, Paul could have used a different metaphor altogether. And if he's using, you know, a sky phenomena again, maybe he would use the metaphor of sunshine. Because in our vernacular, again, sunshine means a release or an absence of trouble. And the second coming of Jesus for those who are in Christ isn't that the, a great release or absence of trouble for the believer? And so maybe Paul, to borrow a title from a pop song, would say that Christians then would be walking on sunshine. Now knowing that, here's how uh, Peterson in the message paraphrased this passage from Scripture. He said, and regarding the question, friends, that has come up about what happens to those who are already dead and buried, we don't want you to be in the dark any longer. First off, you must not carry on over them like people who have nothing to look forward to, as if the grave were the last word. Since Jesus died and broke loose from the grave, God will most certainly bring back to life those who died in Jesus. And then this. We can tell you with complete confidence, we have the Master's word on it, that when the Master comes again to get us, those of us who are still alive will not get a jump on the dead and leave them behind. In actual fact, they'll be ahead of us. The Master himself will give the command. Archangel thunder, God's trumpet blast. He'll come down from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise. They'll go first. Then the rest of us who who are still alive at the time, will be brought to the sky throne to meet the master. Oh, we'll be walking on sunshine. And then there will be one huge family reunion in, uh, with the master. That's how it will be when Jesus comes again. And so I end with the same encouragement that Paul gave to the Thessalonians. That as brothers and sisters in Christ, 
we need to reassure one another with these words. 